When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Motorists facing new journey charges in a radical move to clean up London's air. Controversy over new laws targeting peaceful protest and homeless people. A canary wharf tower with just a single stairwell is sent back to the drawing board over fire safety concerns. And the compendium of not quite everything, all the facts you didn't know you wanted to know. My name's Merlin Fulcher, I'm an architectural journalist, and I will be bringing you a roundup of this week's top London architecture news. Welcome to the London. My guest this week is John Elledge. John is a journalist, writer and author of The Compendium of Not Quite Everything. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. London Mayor Sadiq Khan has announced bold plans to introduce new journey charges for drivers just days after air pollution in the capital reached levels ranked 10 out of 10 for potential harm to human life. This is a story that's broken in The Guardian that's been picked up across the London media. Khan has set out a vision for London to become a world leader in smart road pricing, following a report that concluded the city needs to quarter its car journeys to remain in line with its 2030 net zero targets. Under the mayor's proposed plans, which seek to reduce carbon emissions and improve air quality, motorists from every borough could be charged for every car journey they take from 2024. The London mayor said the climate crisis and air pollution were, quote, issues of social justice across the globe and in London as well. He said it's the poorest Londoners who are the least likely to own a car who suffer the consequences. Transport for London has been tasked with finding options to charge drivers for pollution before the end of Khan's second term in office in 2024. However, with technology which would be able to calculate road pricing based on distance, time and location being quite far off, a blanket charge looks more likely to be a viable option. Um, Sadiq has also said he would like to see the London congestion charge introduced back in 2003 and the recent ULES charge replaced with road pricing before the end of the decade. The announcement came just days after Londoners were advised not to exercise amid a forecast of very high pollution reaching levels not seen since March 2018. Cold air and low winds effectively trapped traffic fumes and other emissions, causing exceptionally strong air pollution, which left the government advising people with lung and heart problems to avoid strenuous physical activity. Healthy people were meanwhile told to reduce physical exertion, particularly outdoors. I mean, if I can recall last Thursday and Friday, the sunsets were absolutely amazing, 
but I felt pretty sluggish and I had a very itchy throat. Um, so John, this is a pretty bold set of plans from Sadiq Khan. Uh, it's a potential to really divide opinion, but also to deliver some majorly transformational results in terms of boosting active travel, public transport, road safety, air quality, uh, and also tackling climate change. Um, so why is London in a situation where it needs uh, radical policies uh, like this? And obviously, if successful, um, how could it transform our experience of living, working and traveling here? So so I have a lot of thoughts about this one. I think, firstly, I have been, let's be honest, a bit disappointed with, with Sadiq Khan's mayoralty over the last six years. I think he... Uh, I, I, I think he kind of has, has looked great on paper, but in terms of his actual solid policy achievements, I think they've been <clears throat> they've been pretty limited. And there are all sorts of reasons for that. One of which is clearly, for the first time, London has had a mayor from from a different party from the national government for the entirety of his term, and that's obviously you know that has made it harder to get things done. He yeah, would have done even if even if we had a national government that wasn't so determined to kind of like stick it to places that, that insist on voting Labour. Um, so, so seeing him come forward with with genuinely radical plans like this uh, feels feels really great. I mean, there could be a legacy here. They could this could fundamentally change the sort of city London is. Um, if if you kind of like get cars off the roads and use that money to reinvest in public transport and and maybe even kind of uh, take back some of that road space, well, I think one of the most depressing things that have happened in London's built environment this last year is the kind of is Soho, which we kind of all got used to being sort of you know pedestrianised part of the time, go, uh, the sort of pavement cafe culture area, uh, going back to 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 being just you know normal roads with traffic on them, and I, I think that's been incredibly depressing. If if we could, if if the mayoralty could use uh, these kind of reforms to push through some serious changes in terms of how people uh, live and get around in London, I think that would be uh, I think that would be a tremendous legacy for Stick on. Having said all that, I don't really believe any of this is going to happen. Um, I mean, it would be, I, I, I just kind of can't work out how it gets through politically because it's all very well uh, sitting sitting in, in zones one and two kind of thinking how great this would be. But, you know, if you get to the outer boroughs, uh, a lot of journeys, particularly radio ones, do get a lot harder to make. If you don't have a car, like you would never, you would never kind of go from, from, uh, I'm, I'm going to struggle to think of an example, but you never go from like where I grew up in Romford down to down to to Raynham by public transport if you've got a car, because it's just it, it's just going to take forever by bus and it's much much quicker uh, to drive. And and people's people's lives in the suburbs will be set up in such a way to you know get to friends and relatives and schools and workplaces and so on. Not often they 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 require car journeys, and so I think that's going to be quite difficult to push that that through politically even if the voters affected are are, are largely ones that, that that were never really in the mayor's camp anyway um i just can't see uh i just can't see him being willing to do something so unpopular and as you said in your introduction the 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 technology kind of makes sure that that people who still really do need to use cars for whatever reason aren't being charged at the same rate that doesn't really exist yet so a sort of blanket fare seems seems more likely more technically plausible and that that would in some ways be quite uh, regressive so so I, I sort of I love the idea of of, of of massively reducing car usage on London's roads. I just can't quite see it happening on that kind of time scale. 
I mean, one of the things that's interesting is a lot of this 2024, that's when the next mayoral election is. So is it effectively sort of stacking it up as a the next election being a referendum on road pricing? Um, and then if it is that, is this the first referendum in recent times where we get to have an open, honest debate, uh, set out all the facts and actually sort of communicate the relative economic benefits and health benefits on each side? Well, I mean, I think I'm right in saying that um, the, the city of Manchester, as opposed to the Greater Manchester, did have a referendum on the congestion charge zone uh, a few years ago. And the idea was overwhelmingly defeated um, because, because you know, a lot of people do do like driving. They are dependent on, on their cars. Um, and and you sort of need to, to build build the alternative options before you can kind of you certainly need more carrot than stick sometimes. And obviously, you know, London is a very different position to Manchester. We have much better public transport. Uh, we have a regulated bus system for a start. Um, but you know, it's nonetheless. Um, I think you would still be looking at. Uh, quite a quite a heavy uh, counter reaction to plans like that. So so I, yeah, I, I admire the, the the urge to kind of use this to be bold, um, but I'm not I'm not sure I'm convinced it's actually going to happen. The other the other thing I keep coming back to is I we're obviously still in the middle of a sort of certain amount of brinkmanship over the powering uh, sorry the funding of, of transport for London, with with the government kind of refusing to commit to to the sorts of subsidies that are necessary uh, in now now now. Commit Commuting is is happening rather less than it did before the pandemic. Um, so I wonder if this is kind of actually a move in this debate, and and you know it's it's an attempt to shift the Overton window, and actually we're going to end up with something less radical but more consensual, but but does move us in in that direction a little bit, and and deals with like the congestion and pollution problems you were talking about a few moments ago. One of the things that is very interesting is that the London mayor has a lot of power over transport policy, but unfortunately quite limited powers when it comes to the affordability crisis, in particular like when it comes to delivering new housing at the right rent prices, for example. Um, now, one of the first criticisms that gets rolled out when people mention road pricing is that it will punish those with less money who rely on those cars. I mean, the obvious kind of example is a van driving essential worker, perhaps a cleaner or a plumber, um, who's already been priced out of the city and they're commuting in early every morning from Kent or Essex okay um but so just thinking about that what needs to be done to ensure that imagine say a London happens with super clean air and very little congestion as a result of this um how do you make sure that doesn't just become even more of a playground for the super rich who love driving around in expensive cars um and even further dominated by the luxury property and service industries making life even more unaffordable for everyone else I mean, I, I, I sort of feel like you would want a more nuanced system than just kind of a flat charge. So a sort of charge that that does in some way uh, correlate to, to how well, bluntly how rich you are so that, you know, someone uh, working a minimum wage job uh, isn't kind of hit by the same sort of charge as, as, as someone, you know, a, a rich heir in Chelsea sort of thing. Because, because the latter could sort of... Uh, you know, a ten-pound daily charge would be would be a huge problem for someone at the lower end of the income scale. Uh, but but the sort of thing that someone even on a reasonable income could kind of like just deal with much more easily. Um, and this is where the technology comes in. I suspect we don't have the data or the kind of the, the technology to create that granular system. Um, and I, I I do think like sometimes the idea of I mean, going back to the sort of Soho depedestrianisation, I think the idea of like the tradesman who needs the honest trade, working class tradesman who needs his car and can't be expected to use the tube and so on, that, that is kind of like brought up 
by by people pushing um, conservative causes for for political reasons, obviously. But nonetheless, there are people that this would hit a lot harder than others. Some of whom do need to drive, um, and and if you did do it badly, you could just kind of like entrench existing inequalities. Um, so so yeah, that is that is that is a risk. I still think it's worth moving in that direction. But but twenty twenty four is really not very far away, is it? I mean that's you know, that's going to be around before you know it. Um, so I suspect this is not an entirely serious plan, and actually this is this is about positioning as much as anything else. The past week has seen thousands of people taking to the streets and many others to the airwaves to protest against the government's new police, crime, sentencing and courts bill, which opponents say will effectively criminalise most forms of civil disobedience. If successfully passed through Parliament, the new law, which has already suffered a raft of humiliating defeats in the House of Lords, would mean protests that are too noisy or causing too much annoyance could be shut down. The 307-page bill also threatens to criminalise gypsy, roma and traveller groups if they pitch up on private land and puts rough sleepers at risk of a criminal record if they are caught sleeping in cars or bedding down on private land. All this despite a major ongoing housing crisis. The contentious bill has been covered across the media, but also comes at a time when protest itself and the rules governing it have been at the centre of wide-ranging debate within the built environment. Just last week, we led our first 2022 episode of London with the story of Bristol's Colston 4 being acquitted of toppling a statue of a former slave trader. Meanwhile, this week, the AJ has reported on the former architect and insulate Britain activist James Thomas being released from prison. The 47-year-old was jailed for four months in November, along with eight other Insulate Britain campaigners, after they took part in a blockade of a junction on the M25 orbital motorway. Despite being incarcerated, Thomas, who previously worked at London design firms Burrell, Foley, Fisher and PTE, but he's now a part-time activist, um, he's been praised by a number of leading architects who criticised the government for failing to honour its £9.2 billion manifesto commitments to retrofitting. Um, Such has been the outpouring of support that even a former president of the Royal Institute of British Architects, Angela Brady, tweeted her support for the campaign group and its formerly imprisoned activist, although the institute itself has yet to come forward. Following its third reading in the House of Lords, the bill will now return to the House of Commons for the consideration of the Lords' amendments before moving forward for royal assent. So, John, what's this all about? What exactly is the Police, Crime, Sentencing and Courts Bill? Uh, and why has it been so controversial, especially in light of recent high-profile Black Lives Matter and Extinction Rebellion protests? It's this sort of bumper pack of new powers for the police and the Home Secretary to kind of crack down on protests. It would enable them to to be able to determine whether a protest would go ahead. It would it would uh, in, increase their powers to to ban protests on the basis of things like noise and disruption and inconvenience, all of which are you know fairly fairly fundamental aspects of the whole of the whole protest thing. Um, I mean, my my suspicion is that it's not. I don't know whether whether. Uh, and anyone in government is seriously expecting they would actually want to use these powers. It feels a lot like uh, another aspect of the thing this government has a habit of, of sort of um, legislating by by sort of for, for sort of message rather than actual power. Like they kind of want to give the impression to to their core voters that they are cracking down on on annoying protesters like Insulate Britain and Extinction Rebellion. And my suspicion is they're kind of they're thinking entirely about the message it sends to their voters and they're not thinking about what this could actually do to to governance in this country. But the result is going to be is a huge range of new powers, both for the 
Home Secretary and for the police. And given the record of, of that person and that institution of late, I'm not sure we really want them to have those powers, do we? We've just been discussing in previous shows Colston Four and this morning uh, James Thomas. I mean, one of the things that's really fascinating about protests right now is that a lot of public opinion and now professional opinion effectively vindicates a lot of the activists. Um, obviously, it's therefore against the existing laws as they stand, let alone these new laws which are being controversially introduced. So. I mean, can we sort of separate out the methods of protesters, that, what they choose to use? I mean, clearly that's what often lends them in trouble with the police and uh, the courts. Um, or uh, and can we separate this from the cause that's actually being fought for? Um, this is probably what the government thinks or says it's trying to do. Uh, or is it the case that the cause and the methods are always inextricably intertwined and we just have to accept that that is part of protest and it is shocking and weird and disruptive? I think I think the difficulty is like you know shocking and weird and disruptive is how is, is where the power comes from right like I was thinking um, about something else uh, entirely with the, the talk of uh, more tube strikes and people always complain about the inconvenience they say well you know I I, I, I support that I support the cause but why do they have to do it this way it's like because you know inconvenient their power the RMT's power to inconvenience you is is why they have managed to get a good deal for their members this is not incidental it's um, and protests are the same. It's not if, – if you kind of look at sort of the history of these things, we, we, we often talk as if uh, the protests from the past that where, where the causes were successful um, were somehow uh, categorically different, qualitatively different. And it's like, okay, though, why, it was okay in the past. Those protests are okay, but the ones we have now aren't. But if you actually look at the reality of, of what – what the suffragettes did or what the civil rights movement did in the US. Like the inconvenience and the disruption was there as well. That was how they exerted power. So so I think any attempt to kind of like cut those things out of the process, uh, basically just you, you're looking at uh, protest movements becoming less effective. Thank you for supporting The Lundown by listening, subscribing and sharing the show. Lundown is produced by Open City and the London Society. Open City is a charity best known for the Open House Festival, but also for our tours, education programmes and events. The show, along with the festival and schools programme, are free because we believe everyone should have access to the tools and resources to learn about and experience our built environment keep this show free for everyone we rely on those of you who can afford it to donate the equivalent of one coffee per month if this is you please go to open-city.org.uk forward slash flat white to donate and help keep these conversations accessible inclusive and honest Proposals for a new skyscraper with a single stairwell and canary wharf drawn up by acclaimed architects Morris and Company have been pulled from planning following fire safety concerns raised by the London Fire Brigade. Um, this is stories covered in The Guardian and AJ. The developer Ballymore postponed the application for a 52-storey residential tower with just one staircase before an expected ruling on whether the project should go ahead by local authority Tower Hamlets Council. It followed an extraordinary intervention by the fire brigade, which said it disagreed that the designs feature featuring a single escape stairwell, complied with the London plan requirement to, quote, provide suitable and convenient means of escape and associated strategy of all building users. Uh, the proposed tower, which planners had recommended for approval, features 424 homes and rises to 174 metres tall. To put that into perspective, that is two and a half times the height of Grenfell, which also had just one staircase. Um, in a letter to Tower Hamlets, the fire brigade said, quote, we do not believe that sufficient justification had been provided for the tall single stair approach 
nor do we agree that particular aspects of the design are compatible for such an approach. Local MP Absana Begum said constituents were, quote, right to be distressed and said she would ensure concerns were addressed. Ballymore has said it will now bring the application forward in due course. So, John, what's this all about? Why are we in a situation where respected developers and architects are spending lots of time and money drawing up plans for prestigious residential towers with only a single stairwell? Uh, and why are schemes like this being recommended for approval by council officers only then to be called out by the fire brigade? So this this story sounds absolutely crazy to me. Um, nonetheless, the fact that a developer has pushed this, you know, we're nearly five years after Grenfell. They haven't even bothered to kind of like commission reports showing it's fire safe. They just assume they could get it through. And, and you know, until the fire brigades broke up, they did. That seems absolutely insane. I just don't understand why we're, why we're still having these why we're still having these conversations and why, why, why developers are not at least kind of glancing at safety. I mean, the main thing I took from this story is just that like the developer is developer world is still feeling under relatively little pressure to, to make sure it is changing its ways this long after Grenfell. And that, that, to me, just speaks to the sort of massive regulatory failure that, that basically these people are not now scared of the power of the state, basically. Um, they should be, you know, four and a half years after Grenfell with, with, with you know, Michael Gove, it sounds like finally kind of trying to re- recoup a lot of the, the costs of, of sorting out the cladding problem. Um, you would want the developer world to be a lot acting like they're a lot more frightened of the planning system and the government than, than they actually are. Um, and and yeah, that 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 to me feels like a far bigger problem than than the exact details of this this one development. And, and there's that sort of question: like, why why are really really tall towers necessary? I mean, clearly it's a it's it's sort of profitable way of doing it. But I guess the taller you go, the more floor space you need for flats that you can sell, and then there's less space for stairs. Um, why would you? Why would you? Uh, what? Yeah, why is fl- sellable floor space trumping everything? I mean, I suspect it's the way, as with as, as with almost everything in London's housing or built uh, or built environment policies, it just comes down to the availability of of land, doesn't it? And I suspect it's if you want to make a sort of large pile of money, then it's easier to kind of get one piece of land and work it intensively through 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 a tower block than it is through through anything else. I mean, I. When, when thinking about sort of what, how, how I would like London to develop, I always come back to the fact that if you think of, of a lot of the, the great continental cities, they're based around mansion blocks of, you know, five, six, seven stories as kind of a standard level. Whereas London, we seem to be, we, you know, London's always been a relatively low rise city. Uh, and and you don't have to be far from from the centre before you start getting to like two story homes, which feels like an incredible uh, waste of space. But it's quite difficult to kind of retrofit more sort of mansion block architecture on that space without without much stronger compulsory purchase rules. So so instead to kind of meet the sort of ambitious housing targets, and and for developers to kind of make the sorts of sums that they they, they feel that hardworking sons of soil they are that they deserve. Um, we kind of have gone down this sort of road of, of, of sort of a low-rise city with, with these occasional clusters of, of massive towers in them. Finally, it's the best bit of the show. In t- September 2021, our guest this week, John Elledge, published the compendium of Not Quite Everything, all the facts you didn't know you wanted to know. Um, subscribed as a treasure trove of random knowledge, the, the compendium covered just about everything from the furthest known galaxies to the murky origins of oyster ice cream. Uh, bizarre and brilliant and brimming with the unexpected, the compendium traverses the breadth and depth of human experience, weaving its way through words and numbers, 
science and the arts, spiritual and the secular. It's a feast of facts for a hungry mind. Um, John, um, perhaps you could share a few insights from the book, uh, things you think might be particularly interesting to London listeners. So so as, as you've just described, the contents of the book are sort of all over the shop. Um, if there's, a, there's an entry that's a uh, history of the world told through its largest buildings. Um, uh, and what I found fascinating about this is like you've got the Great Pyramid of I think it's, it's the Great Pyramid of Giza is the is the, is the, the, the original kind of like uh, mega structure, isn't it? Uh, but then you can kind of like track where power lies through 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 the identity of tallest buildings. So like uh, initially you've got you've got like you know churches and cathedrals are the tallest, and and uh, then briefly. Uh, you, you've got a period where, like, various French and German cities are kind of competing to to have the the world's tallest building at exactly the point where there was a lot of kind of French, uh, uh, Franco-German tension building up around around Alsace-Lorraine, which obviously ended terribly well for for all of us. Um, and then you kind of you you briefly have a Philadelphia Town Hall. Uh, but then that's overtaken by by kind of like ever ever taller uh, skyscrapers in in sort of corporate American world, and then and then and then it moves to 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 Asia. Uh, so you kind of can can track um, political uh, power and political tension through through the largest buildings, which I found quite interesting. Um, the other the other sort of vaguely sort of city related uh, entry is there's a sort of similar structure entry, which is a history of the world told through the uh, the world's largest cities. Um, and uh, and the thing that sort of really stays me about that is you're quite late in world history before you get to the point where um, where, where 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 it's a European city. Um, I think for, for most of world history, it's in it's uh, in the Middle East or China with like Rome popping up occasionally, um, which kind of I think suggests that you know Western Western dominance is a, is a very is a very recent and probably fleeting fleeting phenomenon. Um, but but yeah, no, the, the book is all over the shop. It's about a hundred of these of these essays and all sorts of different different topics. Um, and uh, and and yeah, there is. I think the the idea is that there'll always be something in there to appeal to everyone. John, it's been an immense pleasure to feature you on London uh, this week. Um, as is our tradition, where else can uh, listeners uh, keep up to speed on all the amazing things that you're doing? Oh, well, I'm I'm uh, far too much. I'm on Twitter. Or I'm at John Elledge, J-O-N-N-E-L-L-E-D-G-E. Uh, also, these days, uh, many of my thoughts are being sent out into the world via a Substack newsletter, which is john.substack.com. John spelled J-O-N-N. Well, it's fantastic to feature you on the show again, a true friend of the show, and look forward to, to having you on London another time in the future. And once again, thanks, John. You've been listening to The London, a show from Open City rounding up the big stories in architecture and the built environment each week in London. If you've enjoyed the show and want to know more about any of the stories we've discussed, we recommend subscribing to The Architect's Journal, which has covered all these issues and many more too. You can find the show on Twitter or Instagram at at OpenCityLondon or by using the hashtag London, L-N-D-D-W-N. Open City receives no public funding, so if you want to support our work, please go to open-city.org.uk slash support and sign up as an Open City friend. Open City is dedicated to making London a more open, accessible and equitable city.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.